What is there to recommend this world? Drought, famine, murder and mayhem, the rape of innocence. Night terrors breaching the brightness of day. One honest, piercing look around, and there are tears enough to wash away the world. But God whispers in our ear, look here, look at me. And there we see the ribbon of blood that led to redemption, to restoration. We count our blessings and find forgiveness, provision, peace, healing, the sweet salve of communion with our God. His beauty everywhere on display. The velvet petals of a rose. The majestic wings of eagle and hawk as they split the sky. We hear the treble of joy rising from the congregation. And we tremble with waves of praise. Oh God, good is your name forever. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I thank the Lord with all my heart in the company of those who do right in the congregation. The works of the Lord are magnificent. They are treasured by all who desire them. God's deeds are majestic and glorious. God's righteousness stands forever. God is famous for his wondrous works. The Lord is full of mercy and compassion. God gives food to those who honor him. God remembers his covenant forever. God proclaimed his wonderful deeds to his people and gave them what had belonged to other nations. God's handiwork is honesty and justice. All God's rules are trustworthy. They are established always and forever. They are fulfilled with truth and doing right. God sent redemption for his people. God commanded that his covenant last forever. Holy and awesome is God's name. Fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. Sure knowledge is for all who keep God's laws. God's praise lasts forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I keep receipts. Now, I keep receipts not just for the financial obvious reason so that I can go back and yell at somebody when something is broken or doesn't work right. I keep receipts for sentimental value. I remember the transaction, the, the relationship. That was a friendly clerk. That was great service. I look at those receipts, not like I have a scrapbook and go back every week and look at them, but that would be weird, as opposed to my present behavior. But I do go back this time of year and look at those receipts and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that person. I remember that store. I remember the, there was, that was a wonderful experience. Or, wow, I'm never going back there. 
But I didn't always keep receipts. There's one in my past that I wished today that I had, that I had framed. It was the day Debbie and I officially got engaged. We, uh, we moved her from a place she was living in Sterling, Kansas, to Hillsboro, so that we could see if our long-time, long-distance relationship could actually stand up to being close to me. <laughs> Fortunately, it worked out. But it required a bit of, you know, complex logistics because life with me is full of complex logistics. We had to move Debbie's stuff from Sterling to Hillsborough, and then we had to go back to Kremlin for the evening with her folks. So this is, this is not a, you know, throw stuff in the back of the pickup and drive a few blocks. This is 60 miles one way and 100 miles another way, and, and it was a long, hot, sweaty day. And of course, being the romantic that I am, at the end of the move, that's when I gave her the ring and said, yeah, we've picked this out a while back. We ought to start wearing it. Really romantic. Not the down on one knee, would you marry me kind of, Yeah, you ought to start wearing it now. In my defense, it was the 70s, okay? Well, on the way home, of course, I had a blowout. Flat tire. Now, this is rural Oklahoma. This is sundown. This is not wheat cutting season, so there aren't many farmers out on the road. And need I remind you, this is pre-cell phone. For those of you who don't know, have no memory of what pre-cell phone worlds were like, uh, it meant that you had to find somebody who had a landline. And there was nobody on US 81 at 8 p.m. on that summer evening. Until around the bend, there drives up a banana yellow Cadillac. Was the ugliest Cadillac I'd ever seen in my life. But it was the first car I'd seen since the tire had blown out. And Debbie and I were standing there, hot, tired, sweaty, wondering, I'm sure she was wondering, what have I gotten myself into <laughs> with this guy who can't even change a tire? Well, up in this Cadillac drives a woman. And, okay, this is the 70s, confession time. I went, oh, great, a woman. Oh, great. <laughs> what I need is a farmer, okay? I... Well, turns out she and her husband owned the tire shop in town. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? I think she trolled that part of US 81, just looking for schmucks like me. She got out. She asked us if we needed help. We said, yeah. <laughs> she uh, took us to the tire shop. She got us new tires. We threw them on. We went back. He, the, by that time, the 
guy, the owner, the, her husband had come and he balanced them and did all the things you're supposed to do. So we avoided towing it, anything. And they found out it was the day we got engaged. And so I, I'd like to say they were free, but they weren't. But they weren't as much as they needed to be. Her, her generosity on that day, and, and I got to tell you, two new tires on a 1973 American Motors Hornet station wagon is a bit like putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> but her generosity restored the joy of the day. It, uh, I went from being a pretty happy guy, newly engaged, to a pretty depressed, angry guy, to sense of, okay, life, life can work out every so often. I wish I had the receipt of that transaction. I'd frame it just to remind myself of that moment of someone's generosity coming through when I really needed it. Psalm 111 is a song about generosity. Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are twin psalms. They really go together. Uh, they are twin psalms both in form and content, and they're both acrostic psalms, which means the first word of each verse in the Hebrew starts with the sequential letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and if you read the psalms sequentially, you, re, you remember, you, some of you, if you look at your Bibles, you'll see at the beginning of Psalm 107, it'll say Book 5. Well, the Psalms are divided up into five big chunks. And most scholars think that Book 5, Psalm 107 to 150, gets added to the Hebrew hymnal after the exile. Uh, they, are, they are bits and pieces of worship and liturgy that are used throughout. Hebrew faith and life, but they get, they get put together, they get, they get fashioned and edited and arranged and laid out after the exile. It's Israel reminding itself of God's generosity after he restored them. And if you look at Psalms 107, 108, uh, they're about the return from exile. It, it, it launches with these these grand hymns of God's brought us back. We're, we're no longer bereft of a sense of being a people. God has taken us back. Uh, 109 and, and 110 talk about how God works on behalf of the oppressed. Israel reminded itself in the arrangement of its hymnal that just because God was generous to them, didn't mean that they didn't have other responsibilities. That generosity is tied, generosity from God is tied to generosity to others. That, and, and Israel weaves that into the very fabric of their hymnal, of their, of their prayer book, of their scriptures. That God does this great thing for us God also does great things for the oppressed through us and with us. And that leads to 111 and 112, which are these 
hymns of praise, and then transitions 113 to 118 to celebrate God's saving work in general and particularly through the Exodus. So there is a, there's a trajectory in these, in these opening hymns of this section. Celebrating the return, remembering the oppressed, giving thanks for God's generosity, and remembering where we had come from. The men and women, I think, who worked to put the Scriptures together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit understood the need to tell a bigger story than just lifting a verse out that feels good to me. That there is in the fabric of the Psalms a story being told. That God is at work through His generosity to His people. Psalm 111 begins with the prosaic in English, praise the Lord, in the Hebrew, hallelujah. It's a declaration, it's an exclamation. Psalm 111 doesn't ease into a nice intellectual discussion of God's generosity. It hits you full force. Hallelujah! God is at work. Let the nations be glad. I thank the Lord with all my heart in the company of those who do right in the congregation. God is at work in our midst. Hallelujah. And then the psalmist begins to unpack his praise of generosity. The great works of God. The works of the Lord are magnificent. They are treasured by all who desire them. Now, now, the writer of this psalm is not just celebrating the glories of the Grand Canyon or the glories of the Pacific coastline. It's more than that. These are, these are works that happen in the congregation, among the people of God. God's glorious handiworks, sure, uh, the natural beauty around us is staggering. But the real beauty of God's work lies in the hearts of His people. It is Paul who captures this in Ephesians when he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which is a horrible translation because it sounds so eh, workmanlike. It'll, you know, eh, God eh, worked in us and it'll do. Good enough for government work. No, the word there is actually, we are God's poem. We are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece. God, the canvas of the universe, has painted our souls. And the psalmist reflects that similar view. That it's not just the magnificent physical beauties of the world around us or the staggering view of the stars at night. It is the beauty of each soul that gathers as God's people together. That's, that's the work of the Lord that is magnificent. That's the work that is to be treasured by all. 
psalmist pivots in verses 3 through 6 then to the history of God's generosity. And, and while not recounting specific acts and deeds, the psalmist tells a sweeping story in verses 3 through 6 of a God who has been at work being generous to his people. We think of God somewhat through the lens of Martin Luther, who basically was scared to death that God was going to strike him dead. That's, that's kind of the, that, that's one of a number of gifts of the Protestant Reformation. Now, there are many good things about the Reformation, but there's also this reality that we, we sort of view God as this old geezer that sits way up there in the sky and he's just looking over his glasses at us, just waiting for us to mess up so that he can, I don't know, hurl lightning bolts at us or zap us. But that is not the view of Yahweh in this passage that the psalmist is declaring. He is telling us that God, Yahweh, is a generous God to his people, gives abundantly, who cares deeply, who, who feels, genuinely feels our pain. The early church, the church before St. Augustine had a doctrine called patripassianism, the notion that the Father feels pain. That's what the Latin word actually means. And the notion was God enters into our pain and experiences it with us. Only a God of generosity would do such a thing. A God who wasn't generous would let us deal with our pain on our own. But the early church recognized that for God to have been incarnated in Jesus Christ, that meant fundamentally that God enters into our pain. And so when we feel the disappointments, the aches, the sorrows, the, 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 the troubles of life, God is not somewhere else. God is in the midst of that with us, for us, beside us, around us. God is a generous God, the psalmist says. And we're reminded in these verses, 3 through 6, of a whole history of that. Verses 7 through 9 then reflect on the trustworthiness of that generosity. Because, because God's greatness is obvious, His great generosity is obvious, because there's a whole history of it, now, in this moment, we can, we can rest in that generosity. We think of the, to the extent we actually do this, we think of the post-exile era as this Wonderful time. Oh, all the Jews came home. It was great. They rebuilt the land. Wait, re rebuilt? Let's just take that word for a minute. Rebuilt? That, there's a lot of hard work. There were a lot of setbacks. The, the post-exilic life of Israel was full of a lot of pain and trauma. Just read Nehemiah. And you get a picture of how it wasn't all milk and honey anymore. It was hard labor. And it was a lot of uncertainty. 
And it's in that environment that the psalmist says, Yahweh is trustworthy even now. Now, there had to be some people who heard that and said, wait a second, not in my life. In my life, I live right on the outskirts of danger. It comes and visits me every so often. There's all kinds of trouble. There's all kinds of pain in my life. I should have stayed in Babylon where it was comfortable at least. I shouldn't have bothered coming back. And the psalmist replies, no, no. Our present troubles are not the measure of God's generosity. Our current struggle is not some counterpoint to the promise of God's presence. God is at work even in the midst of our pain. That's part of his generosity, that he's with us in the stuff of life. And so... The psalmist in verses 7 through 9 takes this, this view of generosity and he pivots it from, from God being generous to a reminder that we are to be generous. God's handiwork is honesty and justice. A generous God is a just God. We think we, we, we have trouble equating those two, but not the psalmist. God's justice grows out of his generosity. We think, we think justice means God's going to get us if we don't watch out. You know, we, we think it's about being naughty or nice. The justice of God grows out of his generousness, his mercy, his grace that is so abundant and so amazing and so incredible, and so imprinted on each of our souls. And that leads the psalmist to the point of this hymn. Verse 10. Fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. Sure knowledge is for all who keep God's laws. God's praise lasts forever. It is, it is God in his generosity that is the source of wisdom. Again, we, we read fear and we think bad. Fear means reverence. It's when, we, it's when we look to God as a generous God. It's when we reimagine God not as a, not as a mean old guy, but as the generous creator of the universe. That all the beauty we experience all the grace we discover, all the aha moments of our lives that make us go, this is a wonderful world. Those are all from the hand of God. And when we come to terms with that, when we, when we welcome that, that's the starting point of wisdom. We think wisdom is about having thick skin, tough-mindedness, the ability to know when somebody's scamming us, keeping our defenses up, keeping our eye on people. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the reverence of God's generosity, a life of thankfulness. 
is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111 is a hymn in praise of generosity through and through. It's in praise of a generosity that launches crescendos of thanksgiving. Our our first and best response to God is always hallelujah. Psalmist does it all the time. And in this psalm, it is made point blank clear to us that our first and best response to God's work in our lives is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a psalm in praise of a generosity that reminds us of our place in the economy of God. God's at work building a people. God's God's not off doing other things. God has always been at work building a people. That's go back to the creation accounts. And what God is up to is making a place for His people to live in safety and security and relationship with God. And we broke it. And then it's a story of recovering that safety and security and that relationship with God. We have a place in God's purposes because God is a generous God. It's a psalm in praise of a generosity that reconnects us to our story. You know, we, we are, by every measure of a global standard, we gathered here today are privileged beyond measure. Unlike our brothers and sisters meeting for worship this morning in the Sudan or in Nepal, or in Western China, we we have enormous resources at our disposal. We are the 1% of this world. And we can try and try and try to change the econometrics of that so that we're no longer in the 1%, but we're lying to ourselves. We are the privileged few on planet Earth. The problem with being the privileged few is we think we got there all by ourselves. It's like the politician who said of another politician, you know, he was born on third base and thought he'd hit a triple. And we act that way. We find ourselves from the commanding heights of a global economy and we think we earned it. We're part of the story. We're part of a continuing community that goes back generation after generation after generation. And some of those generations have faced struggle and some have had it pretty easy. But none of us got to where we're at all by ourselves. God's generosity played a role in it. And so we need to be in praise of a generosity that reconnects us to our story, that reminds us that we are not solitary individuals 
in relationship with God, but that we are part of a community, a community that exists now and that has existed since creation. The psalm is in praise of a generosity that is to be shared with justice and fairness and equity. God's generosity isn't just for us. God's generosity is for the whole world. And here's the Here's the dirty little secret. God created a people to be the conduit of his generosity to the rest of the world. Our mission as the people of God is to be a bridge. God's generosity 